All right, let's uh, look at God's word together. Would you open me open uh, your Bibles to Mark chapter three? We're going to continue our sermon series and uh, looking at the gospel of Mark. And this week we are in chapter three, verses 13 through 19. If you're using one of the Bibles that we have underneath the chair in front of you, it's on page 1066. Mark chapter three, 13 through 19. Hear now God's holy and true word. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Most merciful father, as we now look into your word to see The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you open our ears? Would you help us to see what the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to and equips us for? Father, would you use this time to transform us into the likeness of your Son? We pray that you'd use this time to equip us. To bring the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're still getting going here in 2014. And uh, I'm pretty excited. I hope you're excited too. We seem to be in a, an exciting season as a church. Lots of lots of exciting things have been happening as of late. Uh, you know, we're we're almost a year out from the pastor switch. Did you know that? And we're still here, so that proves God is gracious. Um, and so that's that's an exciting thing. And we we've hired another pastor. We have Michael Hart on staff with us now. And some of you have been getting to know him. I'm sure more of you will as time moves forward. Uh, we have rolled out a new vision for the church in the fall. The elders had uh, come up with a new vision from Scripture and wanted to uh, cast that. And we're moving forward on that, which we'll talk about today. Uh, we saw. At the end of the year, still reeling from the uh, the magnitude of God's provision when we sought to raise uh, $30,000 to purchase an ultrasound machine for the pregnancy center that we partner with, and more than double came in. Uh, that was super exciting. And then now we're just uh, weeks away from adding yet another pastor, a man that will come on staff in a part-time status at first, and uh, he will be helping us uh, in our mission and particularly helping equip us to bring the gospel to our Hispanic neighbors and nations. And so that is super exciting. So we got lots of stuff happening, uh, lots of stuff to be praising the Lord about. And um, we also, like I mentioned, we're, we're running on uh, the gospel and a new vision that is uh, a vision for the type of church we want to become. 
And it involves these four things that you see in the gospel fact for this morning. So let me mention these and then we're going to focus on them a little bit this morning. Uh, the cross-shaped life involves gospel transformation. We'll talk a little bit about that. Gospel proclamation. Gospel demonstration. And gospel multiplication. These are the things that we're focusing on as a church, all part of the 2020 vision, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, but in the meantime, here's an outline. If you're going to be uh, writing down stuff, taking notes today, that we're going to talk about three things. First, we'll talk about the 2020 vision. I want to reiterate what that is so that we are all on the same page and also to inform anybody who's new with us. I know we have some new people who've joined us since September. Uh, then we'll talk about preparation and presence. And then we'll finish up by talking about ordinary and extraordinary. Okay, 2020 vision, preparation and presence, ordinary and extraordinary. I say this every week, but this week it's super important to have your Bibles open the whole time because we're going to walk right through this passage as well as flipping uh, a little back to the beginning of Mark as we talk about our 2020 vision. So let's talk about the 2020 vision and look at 13 and 14. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Uh, so in September, we started talking about this new vision for the church we want to be and continue to be and even grow more into. And so we're going to talk about that today because it is uh, largely influenced by this passage. Okay, so I'm super excited. Is uh, This passage played a major role in the shaping of the vision for our church going forward. So let's look at how that happens. But first I want to remind you of what we talked about back in September on Vision Sunday. We talked about being and even becoming more of a church that would be described like this. A church where people's lives are truly truly changing. A church where people are experiencing the power of the gospel. It is making them new over and over again. Feeling power over sin. Enjoying the amazing Forgiveness and righteousness we have by faith in Christ. That we'd be a church where people's lives are changing. Number two, a church where people are becoming Christians. We want to see more people in this city and around the world hearing the gospel and putting their faith in Christ and beginning to be transformed. We want to see that happening. We have dreams of seeing lines of people waiting to be baptized or to rededicate themselves can't wait we can't wait we want to be a church where people are becoming christians on a regular basis uh, we want to be a church where people's needs are being met your needs my needs physical needs things uh, that we need emotional needs that we would meet each other's needs that we would grow in our ability to serve one another and meet each other's needs to the extent that we're so good at it we can spill out into the community and, and seek to meet people's needs in the community as well we want to be a church where people's needs are being met. And we want to be a church that people are always leaving. That's the best part 
A church where people are leaving, not because they're disgruntled or they don't like the church or the worship or anything like that. They're leaving because they're excited about what's happening here, about what God is doing here. And they want to take that to a new place in order to reproduce in those new places the good things that are happening here. So we talked about even thinking of trying to get on a schedule of planning a church every three years. And that some of you who are sitting here now in a few years would be sitting somewhere else, worshiping Christ hearing the preached word from another pastor. And while we hate to see anybody go, we love to see the gospel advance. So maybe you aren't going to be at UPC that much longer. Who knows? Uh, but that's the vision. That's the, the description of what we want to be, what we want to grow into, what we believe will happen as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so we believe that these are a, the result of focusing on the four main things that Jesus appears to be focused on in his ministry here, which we'll see in a moment. These things are gospel transformation. As we focus on being transformed, understanding from Scripture what that means and how that happens, our lives are going to change. As we focus on gospel proclamation, learning how to share this good news with our words, telling people in our city about the mercy of God in Christ. As we do that, as we learn to do that, people are going to become Christians. Uh, as we focus on what we call gospel demonstration, meeting people's physical needs, loving people, caring for people physically. As we focus on that, our needs will be met. Other people's needs in the community will be met. And as we focus on what we call gospel multiplication, as there are more and more people becoming Christians and becoming part of the mission of the church, then we'll see more and more churches planted. We will multiply. And so those are the four things. And the beauty is they come out of this text. So let's see it. Remember, keep your Bibles open. I want you to look at this now because we want to see here. First, let's flip back and let's do a little reminder. Here's a little review. Okay. Um, reviewing what we've seen so far. It's going to be fast. Okay. I know we've been in this for months. I'm not going to tell you everything we've seen. But look at the headings, uh, the headings from starting in chapter 1. Okay, and let's remember some of the things that we've seen and get a snapshot of what Jesus was doing as he was en route to the cross. And when you look at chapter 1, you see in your Bible, it probably says above chapter 1 that John the Baptist prepares the way. We talked about that. A few verses later, above verse 9, it might say something like the baptism of Jesus. We talked about his baptism and subsequently the temptation. And then above 14, it probably says he begins his ministry. And so now we're beginning to see what Jesus was doing, what he was actually doing when he was here. And the first thing we see is this, verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus begins his ministry by proclaiming or preaching or speaking, using words to Proclaim this incredible news. It's not instructions, remember. It's news. That although we're sinners, every single one of us, none of us are good enough for God. If we put our faith in Christ, then we receive forgiveness of our sins. We are declared righteous in his sight. We are promised power over sin. We are promised a new heavens, a new earth. I mean, all this amazing news. Jesus was preaching that. He was speaking that with his words. He was addressing everyone's spiritual need. 
every single human being has a critical, eternally consequential spiritual need. And that is to be reconciled to God. And so Jesus was coming and proclaiming that the reconciliation between man and God happens in him because of the cross. And so we see gospel proclamation. Jesus was proclaiming the gospel. Next, back on in our journey here, we see above verse 16, he calls some of the first disciples. Okay, we'll see that again in our passage today. So uh, let's keep cruising. Look at above verse 21. It talks about him healing a man with an unclean spirit. Above verse 29, Jesus heals many. And so now we see the other thing that Jesus was doing. One of the other things he was doing. He was doing what we call gospel demonstration. Not only was he proclaiming the mercy of God, but he was also demonstrating the mercy of God by casting out demons, by healing people of their sickness and their disease. His deeds were showing that his words were true. His words were that God is compassionate and merciful to sinners. And that's exactly what his that's exactly what his deeds were demonstrating. The love and compassion that God shows to sinners in Christ. So we see that he was not only proclaiming the gospel, but he was demonstrating the gospel. And then uh, it, it's we just see this rhythm. Look at above verse 35. It's back. He's back to preaching now. Now he's preaching in Galilee. And then we get down to verse 40 and the heading is Jesus cleanses a leper. Now he's back to demonstrating. And so this rhythm of proclamation and demonstration and proclamation and demonstration continues through his entire ministry. But that is not all that he was doing, because we also see in this passage and then in our passage that we looked at this morning that he calls uh, the disciples to follow him. So let's look at what the disciples were doing. Look at our verse uh, today or our passage today and look at the fact that we what do we see them doing here? Looking in verse 14, uh, it says that they would be with him and that he might send them out to do what? To preach which doesn't always necessarily mean from a pulpit. It means to communicate, to preach, and to cast out demons. He gives them authority to cast out demons. Okay? Now, in chapter 6, there's an additional piece that we see that they also went out to heal. And so when you put it all together, what you see the disciples doing was going out and extending the ministry of Christ. They were doing what he was doing. He shows up proclaiming the good news with his words and demonstrating the good news with his deeds. And then he calls the disciples to himself, names the 12 apostles and sends them out to do the same things. To do the same things. And they did. So that means that it's not only proclamation and demonstration that Jesus was doing in his earthly life and ministry, but there's another one which we call gospel transformation. He was transforming these guys. They, prior to following Christ, they did not have any real understanding of the great spiritual need that everybody has. And they may or may not have cared much about people's physical need. But after they began to follow Christ, their lives changed significantly. Certainly we can tell from the text, especially from the epistles, that there was moral transformation. They grew in their Christ-likeness in a moral way. But they also grew in an incredible way, in a missional way. They were 
proclaiming the gospel. They were demonstrating the gospel with their deeds. And therefore, they were experiencing transformation. Their lives were changing. Which means the fourth thing that we see is if you take people that are not on mission with God. And then you teach them and train them and they are on mission with God. What we see is Jesus was also doing what we call gospel multiplication. Gospel multiplication because when Jesus began his ministry, he was the one person proclaiming and demonstrating the mercy of God in Christ. He was the one person. And then shortly thereafter, there were 12. And then there were hundreds and then thousands and now billions of us. That's what we call gospel multiplication. So we see that he was not only transforming these guys, but he was really transforming them into uh, little versions of himself. In fact, in fact, that's what Christian means, a little Christ. It means someone who's out proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel, following in the footsteps of Christ. And so he was doing gospel multiplication. This all en route to the cross, which is the ultimate picture The ultimate picture of proclamation and demonstration. Because on the cross, we see, we hear these sweet, sweet life changing words, Father, forgive them. And then we see a picture of how it happens. His deed demonstrates how you and I, sinners, wind up being saved. His sacrifice is what Causes us to be saved. I just heard about this story of a 14 year old boy in Pakistan who was standing on the street corner and a man came along to him and, and leaned in and said, can you tell me how to get to this certain place? And he gave him directions and as soon as he saw the man walking away, he could see underneath his coat that there was dynamite strapped all around his body. And so this 14 year old boy realized he'd just given him directions to a place where there were at least 300 kids. And so he ran and tackled the man. And in the process, the man hit the button and exploded. And that little boy lost his life. And in doing so, at least 300 kids were saved. And Christ on the cross was jumping on the wrath of God, letting it rather come down upon him to save billions of children. You and me who by faith are the children of God. That's what happened on the cross, and that's why we worship him. And that's also why we want to make him known. And so that's why we are focusing on these things, the Trinity's involvement in our salvation. The Father appointed us to believe. The Son accomplished our salvation by dying on the cross for us, and the Spirit applies that amazing salvation as we follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so therefore, as we keep our eyes fixed on him and celebrate what he's done on the cross, these things happen. As we, as we focus on being transformed, our lives change. As we focus on learning how to share the gospel, people become Christians as we do proclamation. As we focus on uh, meeting people's needs, as we focus on gospel demonstration, people's needs are met. And as we think about the amazing ability we have in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to plant more churches that will focus on these things as well. It's overwhelming. This is what we're called to. This is the cross-shaped life. Right from the pages of the New Testament. 
that we would be transformed, ongoing process, that we would learn how to and then be uh, active in gospel proclamation, that we would learn how we're uniquely wired to serve people in need and then do so, gospel demonstration, and that we'd be uh, ready and willing to go and to multiply as well. That's, uh, that's what we're focused on. And I want you to remember, okay, if you're sitting there and you're like, that sounds good, but I'm scared. That's really scary. I don't do some of these things on a regular basis. I don't even know how. Keep in mind a couple things. Number one, this is the 2020 vision, which means we've got about six years to grow into this. This is not me and the elders saying, go do this now. Come on now. Okay, that's not what we're saying. Just like Mike was saying in the children's sermon. We're not just yelling, you should do this. We are saying this is we're all going to learn this more and more together over time. We've got years of, of time to grow into this. Okay. The second thing I want to say is that it's not about what we're going to do. If our fear is around, I don't know how to do these things. I'm not sure what to even say. I've got good news. You don't have to be afraid. You just take your eyes off of you. And put them onto him. Because he's the one who does it. He's the one who makes us into disciples. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about preparation and presence. Preparation and presence. Looking at verse 14, it says he appointed the twelve so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And what we see then, therefore, is we're prepared for our mission by spending time in the presence of Christ. He calls us to be with him. To spend time with him in his presence. And that's how we are prepared to go out and do these things. And obviously we don't have the miraculous abilities that the apostles did. But in principle, we are able to proclaim with our words that Jesus is Lord. And we're able to demonstrate with our deeds that Jesus is Lord. If we will get in his presence on a regular basis and get that preparation. That word appointed. Look at your Bible. The word appointed in verse 14 is the Greek word poieo. And it is actually the exact same word that Jesus used in chapter 1 verse 17. When he said, I will make you fishers of men. So once again, is about... It's about what he's doing. It's not about what you and I are capable of. It's what he's capable of doing in and through people like you and me. Look at those words. He calls them and they came so that they might be with him. And that he might send them out. Which tells us that Jesus makes people into disciples by spending time with them. And sending them out to minister to people in word and deed. And then spending time with them. And then sending them out. And then spending time with them. And then sending them out. Spending, sending, spending, sending. Now, we can't spend time with Christ physically. Because he bodily uh, is in heaven right now. Ruling and reigning. But that is why he and the Father sent the Holy Spirit. One of the primary Works and tasks of the Holy Spirit of Christ is to minister the presence of Christ to us. That's the amazing reality of the gift we have in the Holy Spirit. That what he does, he shines a floodlight on the glory of Christ as we read through the scriptures. And he also ministers 
the presence of Christ to us. Through ordinary things. That's the best part. Ordinary stuff. Ordinary means. And so, as we move forward as a church, this is why we're going to continually to talk about and call each other to uh, be involved in what we're calling our primary transformation environments. We're seeing that these are the three main ways for our church that we can see being in the presence of Christ, being in a situation where Christ is transforming us. And so our primary transformation environments, which we talked about in September and we'll talk about Forever, I suppose, are number one, uh, being at the worship service on Sunday mornings to sing the praises of Christ. We are with him right now. As we look at the word of God together, when we celebrate the sacraments together, when we pray together, we are in his presence. So we want everyone to be on a rhythm of, of Sunday worship. Uh, life groups, we believe in small group discipleship here. Uh, because Jesus picked a small group to begin with. And so we, following his lead, we're big on life groups. And I'll say a little bit more about that in a little bit. If you're not in a life group, I hope today might be the day that you sign up, get some information. And then personal and family devotions, your third primary transformation environment. And I'm not telling you, run out and get a great devotional life. I'm calling you to learn. I'm calling you to allow us to teach you and give you resources so that you grow in your personal devotional life and in your family devotional life if you have a family. And so we've already talked about the Bible reading plan, and I'm super excited about that. But if you're not on that, I want to encourage you because that is a way for you to be in the presence of Christ. As you read through the scriptures. Not, uh, not approaching the scriptures from an attitude of, oh, is this relevant to me? I don't know. But rather, as I understand the whole story better, everything changes. Okay? Uh, so the Bible reading is, is key. And then I sent you an email this week. Um, if you're not on the emailing list, go to the website and get signed up for that. It's important that you get that. Um, but we talked about the New City Catechism. Okay, a lot of people, a lot of great minds have taken a lot of the great information found in a lot of the great historic reformed confessions and put it into a 52 question and answer catechism. 52. You can almost do one a week. That was a math joke. Okay, anyway. Um, all right, so there's 52 weeks and there's 52 questions and we're going to look at one each week. And I, our family is seeking to memorize them and I want to invite you to be in on that as well. Okay? There's kids' versions, there's videos, there's prayers you can pray on their website. It's fantastic. If you didn't get that in the email, we'll send it out again and keep you updated on how to get to that. But it's just a tremendous resource. And as we are reading our Bibles, growing in our personal devotions, as we're being reminded of the great theological truths of the Scriptures, we're, we're being with Him. And we're therefore being equipped to be sent out by Him. The more we know Jesus, the more we are prepared to make him known, both morally and missionally. But we've got to be with him. That's how it happens. Noah got a, it's my son, uh, he's four years old. He got a, uh, got a, several presents for Christmas from his family. And uh, his favorite though, remote control car. 
uh, he got a little, um, it's actually a truck. It's a four-wheel drive, or it looks like it's four-wheel drive. Um, little black and green truck, big knobby tires. It says Swamp Dog on the side, which is awesome until in public your son says, Dad, can I play with Swamp Dog today? And people look at you like you have some mangy mutt that's in the swamp and your son's going to play with him. Anyway, um, he's got this remote control truck. He loves it. He's driving it, learning bit by bit how to not just crash into stuff. He's getting pretty good. Um, but it has a it has a battery pack and you have to take that out and charge it every once in a while. And uh, there's there were several times, have been several times, probably will be several more times where Noah wants to run that thing, but battery's dead. And so then we'll have to take it out of the uh, center of the truck and put in the charger and Noah looks at that red light that's blinking because he knows eventually it's going to go green and he's going to say, Dad, Swamp Dog! And then I'll come and we'll put that battery back in the truck and off he goes. And that is an example of what we are. We're all Swamp Dogs when it comes to being needing power for mission. The truck cannot operate, cannot do what it was made to do without an alternative power source. Can't do it on its own power. Doesn't have any power. You and I don't have any power. And when we're scared of following Christ into mission, it's because we're thinking we're supposed to have power. But the good news is we are given power. When we're with him, he is charging us up. He is equipping us. He is emboldening us, preparing us, ordinary people like you and like me. To do these things to our capacity, to proclaim with our words, to demonstrate with our deeds. It's worship that we need, corporate worship, worship as small groups, personal and family worship. John Piper is right when he says that worship is the fuel for mission. And so that's why we call you to these things. And so once again, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to hear me saying, okay, because I love you and I also love lost people and I know you do too. And so when you are making it a habit of being in the worship service, you're charging up, okay, for your own spiritual formation as well as your own preparation to take the gospel to the lost. And life groups. We've done a lot of work on life groups. Mike has uh, overhauled the life group ministry, done a phenomenal job of putting things in place, uh, putting some changes in place to help those be more effective. So we want you in a life group. Not because you need to, so Jesus will love you. Jesus will love you just as much as if you don't. But he will use you as you grow in him. So get in a life group and let that be another place where you charge up. And then for your devotions, like I said, the reading plan, the, the catechism. And we'll provide other things so that you are growing in your ability to have a personal and family devotional life. So that you're getting charged up. So that light turns green. And we might not, not yell swamp dog, but we will yell freedom to a world that needs to hear it. Every one of us. Every one of us can do this. You know why? Because it's not about you and me and our abilities. Discipleship is not about what we can make of ourselves but rather what Christ can make of us by his word and spirit. Let's talk about ordinary and extraordinary. Lastly today, ordinary and extraordinary. 
Okay? Discipleship, the cross-shaped life, living this life, pursuing Christ into mission is about not about what we can make of ourselves, but rather what we are made by Christ, what Christ can make of us. And we see this because of the fairly unremarkable nature of these disciples that he picked. This is not a roster of superstars. These are ordinary people with ordinary problems like ordinary you and me. Take, for example, look at verses 16 through 19. Look at these names. Think of Peter. His name was Simon. Jesus changed it to Peter. Peter. What do we know about Peter? In prior to the resurrection, Peter was kind of a, uh, I don't know, know-it-all coward. You know, he'd get up in Jesus' face and say, no, you're not dying on a cross. That's crazy. And Jesus had to say, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you're talking about. And then when Jesus is being tortured, Peter is denying that he even knows him. Now, if you want to advance a message around the globe, is that a guy you pick? James and John. Jesus called them sons of thunder. That doesn't mean they were big, booming preachers. It means they were quick-tempered loudmouths. That's what that means. That's what that phrase means. Okay? And you see an example of it in a couple places in the Gospels. One is in Luke chapter 9. They're uh, preaching the Gospel. And there's one particular city that doesn't receive it. And so James and John run up. They're like, Jesus, should we call fire down from heaven and have it consume them? And Jesus has to say, no, 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 not the message. And he rebukes them. Okay. Ordinary guys. Uh, Andrew. He's Peter's brother. That's all we got. Okay. Philip. His name means lover of horses. That's all we get. <laughs> Bartholomew. These guys are so ordinary, we don't even hear about all of them subsequent to these Gospels being written. Matthew, we know, was a tax collector. You want to spread a message of free grace from a guy who stole millions of dollars from his own people? Thomas, we know, is pretty skeptical. Uh, we, the phrase doubting Thomas comes from the fact that after the resurrection, he's like, I'm not going to believe it until I see him, until I touch his, his wounds. So um, if you're a skeptic, that's, Jesus chooses skeptics. James A, that's what he would have written in kindergarten, because there was two James, so one had to be James A. Um, but we don't know anything else about him. And Thaddeus, we don't know much else about him. And Simon the Zealot, we do know Simon the Zealot. A zealot was a person who was sort of a nationalist, a revolutionary type. So this would have been a guy that was really pro-Israel, all Israel, all the time. Sort of like a guy today that would be like saying America without the A. America! You know, that, that, like somebody who's just obsessed with their country. You've seen those people. And if you are, it's okay. Jesus chooses those people. But here's the thing. The power of the gospel shines in this and that you have a guy who's obsessed with his country and a man who's stolen millions of dollars from his countrymen, Matthew. This gospel of reconciliation is phenomenal. Okay? And so here's the group, and he even has Judas, of course, who betrayed him. So anyway, we do see uh, we do see transformation in the, the lives of these guys, okay? We do see it, 
Uh, we know we can we know for a fact that there is clearly some moral transformation. But what we really see is this missional transformation. We see them as they spend time with Christ. They grow in their ability to proclaim that even if we don't experience all that much moral transformation, that's not the, that's not how we're saved. You're not saved by becoming a better person. We're saved by what Jesus has done on the cross. And so we see a huge transformation in the lives of these guys in the way that they begin to more and more proclaim and to demonstrate and to multiply because they're being transformed. And so really, you know, if, if for those of us that are afraid of following Christ into mission, uh, the number one thing we have to see is, is these were or, ordinary people that wound up doing extraordinary things because of what Christ was able to do in them. And really they only had one thing. One and a half things, we'll say. They had faith. And the half was willingness. That's what you need. Faith and willingness. If you have faith and willingness, Christ can, will use you to do things. We've seen it in this church. We have lots of people who live on mission, who have done these things, stepped out in faith. Ordinary people who have shown a willingness and then been used by Christ and seen him do things. Even sometimes in in serving, they've found it very difficult. And even experienced some persecution. But yet the gospel advances. Willingness. I think of Michael. We heard from him last week. Uh, Michael, ordinary guy. But he's following Christ and Christ call upon him to go overseas and record the scriptures in languages of people who do not have a written language so that they can hear the gospel. He's an ordinary guy, but he gets to go do an extraordinary thing. Now, not every one of us is going to go overseas. The majority of us probably won't. But we can do things here. I think of Karen. Karen's a woman in our church who a few years ago, we pursued her to help with the youth ministry. And she's like... No, thank you, but no. You know, she was like sort of tempted, but then also not really thinking it would be okay. But then she did. She she was willing, and and uh, she began to realize that she's really good at working with teenagers. Think of George. George is a man in our church, ordinary guy. I mean, he is just ordinary guy, and uh, his ordinary family go to an ordinary nursing home and lead a worship service. I think of Renee. Renee is an ordinary woman in our church. Uh, she uh, works at an ordinary hospital and wanted to share the gospel with her ordinary work, uh, co-workers. And she started a little Bible study. She invited all these women to be part of a Bible study and several jumped in. Okay. Ordinary. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. That's, by the way, the point of these missional moments. When we have these missional moments, it is not to showcase the superstars. There are no superstars. That's not true. There's one. And his superstardom is most gloriously pictured on a cross. Jesus is the star. You and I are the supporting cast. And so therefore... As we see this, as we see these missional moments, as we hear people report on what they're doing, okay, and most of the people I've asked have said, like, no, I hate talking about myself. And so you need to understand, I'm making these people do this, okay? I'm forcing them. Because I want you to see that ordinary people do extraordinary things when Christ spends time with them 
and gets them all prepped up and sends them out. And the beauty is that it's really, it's all about faith. It's about faith. It's about believing the gospel, believing that Christ truly did rise from the dead. In fact, that is really the, the hinge on which uh, Peter's life really turned. If you think about Peter, cowardly Peter, man, what a different Peter, right? After the resurrection, Christ rises from the dead to prove that everything he had said was true and everything he'd done counted for the righteousness of God's people. And then what you see is Peter in the book of Acts using his gifts that God gave him. Instead of being a coward now, he was out there sharing the gospel, preaching, and not very few of us are going to be like Peter, but we all can use our gifts. We can all proclaim and demonstrate. Peter is out there preaching, and in Acts chapter 4, one of the most encouraging verses of the Bible for an ordinary person like me is this. Acts four thirteen. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, wait, is that supposed to say cowardice? Is that a miss? Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, ordinary, and they were astonished. Oh, and get this. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Ordinary people, plus faith and willingness, over time, multiplied by... That's going to get too complicated. I'm going to stop there. Ordinary people, faith and willingness. Extraordinary things for the kingdom. William Carey said it quite remarkably. Expect great things from God and then attempt great things for God and for the glory and majesty and renown of Christ the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world let's pray Father, I want to be the first to confess that I am always scared and nervous to do anything. I am petrified every time I walk up on this stage, this platform. I am petrified every time I see someone that is in need. Uh, It terrifies me to to try to talk to people about your son. Um, And so we, I pray, we pray that we will see that if we have been with you, then we are prepared to make you known. And would you let that uh, be what empowers us? Would you let Jesus be that power? Would you let us Let our hearts be empowered by the time that we spend with Jesus. Would you give us a voracious hunger for transformation? And then would you graciously, graciously, graciously move each of us more and more steps into the image of your perfect son 
and let us proclaim and let us demonstrate out of that transformation that we've experienced and let us see the multiplication. For the glory and majesty of the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.